I knew early in the evening some doozy of a storm was coming. I had just come back from the grocery store for the third and hopefully final time that day. My wife was pregnant and her cravings were really getting under my skin. She had been restless all day and nothing I did seemed to help. It had been an unseasonably warm October. I was unloading the groceries, a front blew in, bringing pockets of cold air and a bustling breeze that was quickly gaining momentum. The sky was drenched in yellow. Gonna be a big storm tonight, I said as I scooped some peppermint ice cream into a bowl, slathered it in butterscotch topping with a pickle on the side, a recent request. My wife waddled into the kitchen as I was just finishing and made a beeline to the pickles. But instead of popping a pickle in her mouth, she drank straight from the jar, downing the pickle juice in one gulp. She belched. It was meaty and laced with vinegar. I was both disgusted and a little turned on. The evening was dull and uneventful. We were crashed out on the couch, staring at the TV. I was happy to be doing nothing. It had been a hectic weekend of honeydews and honeydon'ts, and I was pooped out. Work tomorrow was bound to be no picnic either. Our profit margins were steadily shrinking. Everyone's pay had been slashed. I was working double duty most of the time to avoid getting my head on the old chopping block. With a bun in the oven, I couldn't afford to lose my crappy job. I just wanted to get some rest. Little did I know, rest would be a long time coming that night. The lightning hit so close it rattled the house and woke us up. We had fallen asleep on the couch. The crook in my neck was killing me. Guess we ought to go to bed, I said. My wife yawned, rose from the couch, and sashayed to the bedroom. She smiled gently. Her face wore a mask of pregnant fatigue. Can you take the dog out one last time? She asked. I looked out the living room window. It was Armageddon outside. It's storming, I said. Please? She asked it in that way she has. I can never say no. Within seconds of being outside, I was fully drenched. My poor chihuahua Lexi was shivering and refusing to cooperate. I couldn't blame her. I didn't want to come out here either. The rain was ice cold and unrelenting, and the sky was an angry mess of lightning and rolling thunderheads. It was a crushing storm, and I was feeling pretty foolish for coming out into it. My house backed up to the INM canal, right up to it. I could practically fish out of my back door. On the other side of the canal was the towpath, a gravel road that had at one time been used by mules to pull canal boats. Now it was owned by the state's parks department, having become an attraction for cyclists, joggers, pet owners, and the occasional vagrant. Beyond that was a strip of thick woods, and beyond that was the mighty Illinois River. I could see the sky lighting up over the river, each flash of lightning making a false spot of daylight that wowed the senses. For a moment, I forgot that I was standing in the middle of a thunderstorm, a human lightning rod just waiting for a jolt. The spectacle was just too awesome. Electric spiders weaved down from the sky over the river and disappeared, lighting up the world for a split second and then drenching it in darkness again. A cluster of lightning bloomed over the towpath. I thought I saw someone standing there. The darkness returned and there was just the empty gravel path, but a chill had gone down my spine. 
I had that uncanny feeling that someone was looking at me. No, no. Gawking at me like I was a piece of veal. I shook it off. I, I yawned and Lexi gave me a pathetic look. She was a drowned rat and I was no better. I resigned myself to the fact that she wasn't going to take a pee in this downpour any more than I was going to strike up a game of backyard badminton. Let's go to bed, Lexi, I said at last. We were at the door when that feeling hit me again. An icy finger caressed the length of my spine. I was sure someone was watching me from the towpath. I looked out into the gloomy, rain-soaked darkness, thinking of the Bagavans I had seen haunting our quiet Midwestern town ever since Tom, Dick, and Harry had found themselves on the permanently unemployed bandwagon. Could it be that one of these poor schmucks was out there right now in the rain, leering at me? Maybe it was a tired soul just aching for a warm, dry place to sleep for the night. Uh, maybe it was a psycho who wanted to slit my throat, rape my wife, and steal what little money I had in the proverbial cookie jar. It was unsettling to think that some lonely Joe was out there tonight, loitering in the woods behind my house for God knows what reason. Only the canal's breath away. But there was nothing. Just the darkness, the woods, the steady fall of Jurassic rain, the canal and the river deep and dark. I was overwrought, overtired, stressed about my job, my changing relationship with my wife, stressed about becoming a father. Now I was seeing things that weren't even there. Fear hit me like a ton of bricks a few weeks back. My wife got one of those books, you know, those baby books that tell you what happens month by month by month. She read that book and her confidence grew. The author's words just reinforced what my wife already knew, naturally. What she knew. And what I did not. It had all been Greek to me. I didn't know... You weren't supposed to give a baby honey or peanut butter. What else didn't I know? What if I did something stupid? What if I hurt my child somehow? What if I, I fed it the wrong thing, gave it the wrong kind of medicine or too much? Worst of all was a thought that had crept into my head that until I saw that book I had never considered. What if, what if I was a bad father? segue into doubts about my job, about my ability to provide for my family. What if I couldn't cut the mustard? My wife's changing needs were putting me through paces. I thought I would be easily the dutiful husband, ever by her side, at her beck and call, for even the tiniest whim. But I had moments of eruption, impatience, downright uh, chauvinistic hostility. I meant to be helpful, nurturing. Instead, I felt selfish and irritated like some kind of half-man. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was being childish. I just got the dog inside and I was about to close up. There was a deafening crash of thunder and my backyard lit up like it was noon. Startled, I slipped on the wet threshold and fell backward onto my deck. I slid down each step with a terrible thump and landed butt-first in a pool of cold, muddy water. Normally, I probably would have sat there feeling like an idiot, but all of the feeling had drained out of me. 
except for cold, uncompromising fear. He was watching me. I saw him there. The lightning swirled around him. He wore a long black coat and a hat with the brim pulled down over his ashen face. I could only see his eyes, which were set apart in a queer breadth. He was being pelted by the rain, which shed off his coat in a peculiar way, like, like the water was being repulsed. What are you doing? I asked, my, my voice shook. A wide smile stretched across his face, revealing a toothless mouth. Where teeth had been, there were now only deep, moist pockets. The flesh was a meaty pink, splattered with bits of gangrenous flesh and open sores. His sharp tongue danced between his jaws. He was giggling. I picked myself off the ground and trudged to the back of my backyard. I tried to stand up as tall as I could, my best attempt to be... Ugh. The Great Defender. I wasn't going to have some creep leering at my house in the middle of the night. You you need to get out of here. There's a shelter in town. You, you can go there. I'm, I'm calling the police now, I said, trying to sound intimidating. <laughs> now I could hear him giggling. I swallowed the acid in my throat. That was when the thing happened. He moved. It was a subtle move, barely perceptible, but enough to incite meaning. Look, is what it said. I glanced over his shoulder to the place he had motioned. There was a dark-haired boy, maybe six years old, wandering through the weeds at the bottom of the towpath. The boy saw the man. He screamed and ran into the shadow of the woods. The man turned to me and looked me in the eyes, his own lighting up with a sickening glee. His smile grew unbelievably wider. No, I answered, unaware that I'd even been asked a question. My heart thumped wildly in my chest. He turned from me to the woods and back again, his tongue flicked against his sickly gums, then he dashed into the trees. No! I cried out. Before I knew it, I was chasing after him. There was a bridge about 100 yards from my house. I crossed its slippery timbers and I leapt onto the towpath. Each soggy footstep found me sinking into the wet gravel path. I trudged along the path for as long as I could. I could see him prancing through the trees, but the boy was nowhere to be seen. I came to an opening in the woods I thought if I followed this opening, I would soon catch up to the creep and stop him. Certainly meant the kid well, mortal harm. But it was dark. I didn't see the fallen tree in my way. I tumbled down an embankment and into the thicket below. By now I was getting scared. My adrenaline had subsided. And with it, that Superman effect that had taken hold of me in my backyard. What the hell was I doing running into the woods at night after a guy that was leering at me on the towpath? I had to be out of my mind. What was I going to do? 
And then I heard it. Then I heard it. The giggling. It seemed to come from everywhere. From shadows, from the rotten hollows of dead trees, from the empty air behind me. I could feel his tremoring lips against my ear. Feel his hot, stale breath. Brushed it away. Convulsing and shivering fear. Maybe it had just been mosquitoes, seeking a midnight snack, still hanging on in this unseasonably warm autumn. But I didn't think so. The voice cried out. It was the boy. I got to my feet and charged through the brush as fast as I could. It was impossible to make out where the cry had come from. The trees, the rain, and the rumbling sky deadened the sound. I tried to find a sign. Trampled brush, broken branches, anything that might point me to the boy. It was dark, I could barely see. But between the bouts of lightning, it was pitch black, leaving me to wander blindly through the woods. It must have been a fast approaching midnight. The storm hadn't let up, my pajamas clung to me like a second skin. I had made my way through the forest to the river on the other side. I followed along the river bank for God only knows how long. I was shivering becoming aware of just how dangerous it was to be out here alone at night and soaked to the gills. My fingers were already numb. The word hypothermia came to mind. But I could still hear the boy crying out and the occasional snapping of twigs, the rustle of footsteps in the woods. And suddenly, the cries stopped. There was a distant rumble, and the sky lit up over the ridge about 200 paces from where I stood. A silhouette stood perched on the ridge, dark, but for its wide-set eyes and toothless grin. He giggled louder. Each guffaw gurgled with thick saliva. He was drooling. God. God, he was drooling. He held something behind his back, his shoulders bouncing up and down with cheerless laughter as if he had some amusing surprise for me. He pulled the thing from behind his back and held it in the air. It was a child's shoe. I could make out the dangling shoe strings from where I stood. He tossed it in the air, over the ridge and out of my sight, still giggling. I charged through the thicket as fast as I could. My legs were ripped and torn by the time I got to the top of the ridge. I could see him up ahead, dashing through the trees, jolly and yet somehow mirthless skip in his step. I could grab him if I could get to him fast enough. I imagined myself clutching him by the collar and pulling him to the ground, holding him down and squeezing his throat until he coughed blood and passed out. I'd drag him back through the woods and tie him up to one of the canal bridge timbers. That would give me enough time to call the police. But I lost my footing on the dead leaves, soiling the ground, and went scooting down the hill, somersaulting at the bottom, and landing face first in the mud. By the time I righted myself, he had slipped away once again into the darkness. God damn it, I shouted. I, a feeling of helplessness was overtaking me. I was being played, and like a fool, I was falling for it. I soon found myself amongst a myriad of scattered hills and valleys. I knew this place. I had seen it before when I had taken Lexi for a walk down the towpath. It was an unofficial dumping ground for people's unwanted garbage. Everything from old tires to old tractors. Dark, shapeless forms surrounded me, crept up on me, their shadows engulfed me. There were fingers and eyes, 
twisted teeth and jaws. There were hands of cold barbed wire that tugged at me from the shadows. There were voices in the wind, sad voices, frightened voices, pleading voices. There were voices that threatened, begged, and bargained. There were voices that rose up and fell silent. Behind it all was the eerie drone of pitiless giggling. A stream gutted the junkyard, fed by an outpour from the canal. It made a deep trench in the ground that ran swiftly down the vast sinkhole, creating a deep black pool at the bottom of the pit. There was torn fabric on a branch at the edge of the sinkhole, and scrapes cutting down its muddy walls like someone had lost their footing and slipped into the hole. I climbed down into the pit. There was a narrow ridge at the bottom just wide enough to stand on. I didn't want to fall into the pool. God knows how deep it was. It might be full of snakes or tree branches and garbage that I imagined being tangled up in, sinking helplessly to my soggy death. On the opposite side of where I perched, there was a pile of accumulated junk that had formed a kind of cave in the sinkhole walls. I carefully sidled along the ridge, constantly aware that any minute the wet clay ledge that I was trusting might give way and throw me into the pool of black, mucky water. On the other side, I fell to my knees and struck a gravelly surface. It was a relief to be on more solid ground. I had to crawl under the junk heap, which was a muddy mound of rusty grocery carts, rotten crates, a washing machine, and a plethora of unidentifiable twisted metal, all slathered with moss, mold, fungus, and hanging tree roots. The inside of the cave was damp, dark, and crawling with night things. I loathe spiders. But here I was, crawling amongst them, seen out of my nightmares. I could feel them tickling my neck and crawling up my pant legs their gentle prickliness tickling my goose flesh. But it was when my hands fell into an open cavity that I really panicked. The floor was suddenly gone beneath me. The corridor had opened up into a kind of chamber. I tumbled no more than a foot or two, though it felt like more, and I landed in a shallow pool of stagnant water. Something hard caught me under the ribcage as I fell. I lay there doubled over and gasping for air. Outside, there was a flash of lightning, giving me a momentary glimpse of my surroundings. What the hell is that? I thought. I was being stared at. It was across from me in the shallow corner of the cave, behind a gnarly tangle of ratty tree roots. My shaking hand reached out into the dark and touched it. I screamed, recoiling from the rotted remains of a child's skeleton. The flesh was long gone, only a few stray hairs remained on the yellowed bones. A pair of bib overalls and a red t-shirt, screen printed with a world-famous mouse, still clung to the heap. Its left arm was missing. No, check that. I found it. I was sitting on it. The very thing that nearly punctured my lung. Then I was spinning. Spinning and retching. Eyes were all around me, wide-set eyes with cat-like pupils and toothless smiles with dripping tongues. Hands of barbed wire reached out to grab me, electric spiders crawled across my skin, in my eyes and mouth. My wife was laying there, underneath the twisted tree roots, all in white and holding an empty pen. Her eyes were milky and vacant. She was bleeding in the way only a woman can and the blood was pooling in the stagnant water, which was rising, lifting me off the cavern floor. I was soon riding on a current of blood, being spewed out of the cavern in the sinkhole to 
deposited heartlessly on the forest floor. Earthless giggling filled the air. I don't know how long I had blacked out. I was face down on a pile of black rotted leaves, breathing my own vomit. My head felt like it had been pierced with a telephone pole, my throat was sandpaper, and I couldn't stop shaking. He was there. With his awful smile, a string of drool hanging from his mouth to his chest. His wide-set eyes were fixed on me. He pointed to something behind me. I turned, and to my horror, found the dark-haired boy hanging from a tree. The expression on his face, his dead face, said, Why? Why didn't you save me? I felt the man and the lightning press against me, giggling into my ears, restrained, whispered laughter, wet and manic. Clammy, fat fingers pawed my shoulders. He caressed me, feeling me up. I was frozen, stuck in a trance, looking into the eyes of the dead boy and being violated by him. Something entered me, a dark, spreading, cancerous mass. Hopelessness, pitilessness, cruelty. I was dissolving, coming unraveled from the inside out. Like my very soul was being disemboweled. But I broke free. I don't know how. I, I don't know how, but I, I tore from his clutches and ran, skittering through the woods like some drunken long-distance runner. His eyes followed me, floating in the air, his moist laughter tickling my ears. Then the ground opened up under me like a wide, toothless smile. I collapsed into the spreading pit and landed on a mass of bones and skulls. Scattered amongst the reaping remains were rag dolls and teddy bears and a myriad of sleepy time friends. The voices were crying out, sad, lost, anguished voices of children who would never make it back to their safe warm beds. Their, bo their bony hands pawed at me, seized me, dragged me down into the mass of childhood slaughter, deeper, deeper until nothing remained but blackness. I was found the next morning sprawled out across the towpath. An early morning jogger had happened past me. She called the police certain I was dead or dying. I don't remember anything before waking up in the hospital. A nurse and two policemen hovering over me frantically relayed what happened to me, knowing the words I spoke made no sense. I was burning up with fever, the room was spinning out of control, and I blacked out again. When I opened my eyes again, it was evening. My wife was sitting at my bedside. Darling. She started as I woke, hope returning to her tired eyes. My fever had broke, and I was starving. A nurse brought me a tray of food. Nothing had ever tasted so good. Shortly after I had eaten, I asked my wife to call the police. I needed to speak with them. I told them everything that happened that night. I told them that a murderer was out there somewhere, that they needed to check the woods, that they would find a boy hanging from a tree and a set of bones hidden in a pile of junk at the bottom of a sinkhole. 
There are more bodies out there, I think, I said. I, I don't know how many, but you have to find them. You have to find them. I was a, like a raving fool. I could see it in my wife's eyes. The policeman told me to calm down. He told me they'd check into it. The next day, I was called into the police station. They had questions to ask me. My wife and I were shown into a small room with cinder black walls. Two men accompanied us to the room, Detective Pyle and Sergeant Hayes. Mr. Hodges, we have checked out your story and found evidence to its truth, said Detective Pyle. There were remains in a sinkhole about a mile from your house. Oh my God, said my wife. The blood ran from her face. But that was all they found. They grilled me with questions for the better part of the day until they were certain of my innocence. After all, some of the remains would prove to be older than I am, and some of the trinkets in the pit ranged from the 1940s on. I left them knowing they still had their doubts about me, knowing that they had their doubts about the man I had seen and the body that I said was hanged in the tree. Neither had ever been found. Three months later, my son was born, on an unseasonably warm December day. The warm weather lasted until mid-January. About five o'clock in the evening, the sky had turned a pale yellow. A storm front was moving in. By ten o'clock, the thunderstorm came, and I saw him. He was standing there, just as he had been three months before. The broad, toothless smile, the eyes set too far apart. He was giggling. I ran out onto the lawn to confront him when he did something that stopped me dead in my tracks. He pointed. Not at me, but at the nursery window. He shook all shimmering glee. Thick strand of drool hanging from his toothless smile. I ran into my house and I pulled my son from his crib. I held him through the night, never taking my eyes off the man and the lightning. I put my house up for sale the next day. We moved three states away, though I was doubtful that would ever be far enough. My son is six years old now, a bright, healthy kid. I love him to death. My fears of being a father had subsided the minute he was born. I'm not the cowardly half-man that I thought I was. I stood up, and I became the father that I wanted to be. I faced my fears, not by facing the man and the lightning, but by loving my wife and my son. We're warm and safe and happy. I wouldn't change a thing. But when the warm air is chilled, and the lightning rides the sky, kiss my wife and son goodnight, make a pot of coffee, and listen through the night for mirthless giggles in the wind. <laughs>